new metal was something people were just like, let's just like white knuckle it until this shit goes away <laughs> because it probably will. 93X presents the Celebration Rock Podcast with Stephen Hyden. This is the Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and uprocks.com. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. Today, we are going to be talking about a topic that is not dear or near to my heart, but I think is an interesting topic. It's something that uh, people seem to be going out of their way to forget about these days, uh, which makes me want to bring it back up and talk about why that is and why this topic is so polarizing for people. And of course, I'm talking about new metal. <laughs> yes, the sound of mainstream rock in the late 90s and early 2000s. I'm talking about Corn, Limp Bizkit, Slipknot, Deftones, Alien Ant Farm. Do you remember Alien Ant Farm? They did that cover of Smooth Criminal, the new metal version, something that the world definitely needed. Um, Crazy Town being another band that you might remember. All these bands. Um, it's interesting because at the time when new metal was big, um, you know, I was in college. Um, you know, I'm talking about 96, 97, 98, when that really took over MTV. And I remember at the time feeling so alienated by new metal because it was the first time in my life where I knew I wasn't part of youth culture anymore, even though I was only 18, 19, 20 years old. I would turn on MTV and it would be either Limp Bizkit videos or it would be Corn videos or it would be Britney Spears or Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. And uh, I knew that like this wasn't for me. It wasn't meant for people my age. It was meant for 13, 14, 15-year-olds. And it was a weird thing to realize at that time that I had aged out of a demographic that I had been in my entire life. I, I was used to being catered to as a teenager, but even though I still was a teenager, I wasn't like in the core of being a teenager anymore. Like, I, you know... The music industry was not going to be addressing me in the same way anymore. And that I, I think, looking back on it, I think that's what bothered me about new Metal so much, that I was on the outside looking in on what the kids were, were listening to. But over time, you know, as I've gotten older, and I look back on that era, you know, I've, I've come to have, not affection, but warm feelings, warmer feelings. For that time, I, you know, there are certain songs, certain records um, that I can get into. I mean, first of all, you have the the Thinking Man's new metal bands like Deftones and System of, of a Down. You know, these are the bands that even people who hate new metal, these are the bands that people that those even those people are going to endorse. We had Chino from Deftones on this show last season. Um, so I've always liked the Deftones, and, and, I, and I like System of a Down as well. Uh, so I think those bands are, are still pretty defensible. But even like if you get into the core of new metal, you know, talking about Limp Bizkit, um, there are Limp Bizkit songs now that I can listen to and I can appreciate. Yeah, I think Nookie is, in many respects, a terrible song, but it's also a very infectious song. And, uh, you know, when I hear that song, it, it makes me smile. Like, I, I can't help it. <laughs> Fred Durst finally got one over on me. That song kind of works for me now. There's this song, My Way, by Limp Bizkit, that for whatever reason I've always liked. That song has always gotten under my skin, and I don't know why. There's something surly about it. it it's sort of surly to a comical degree. But the asshole that is in all of us needs to be fed sometimes, and that song feeds the asshole in me that asshole I keep on a chain and in a, in a spare room inside of myself that I don't like to let out. Sometimes you got to feed them raw meat, and that's what that Limp Bizkit song is for me, I think. Even a band like Korn, which uh, you know, is a band that I've always found to be pretty obnoxious, kind of unlistenable. Um, if you listen to those, to those first three records, um, you can't deny that there is a singular vision on those records and that they are unique and doing something that is divorced from most of the rest of rock history. You know, there, if you're the type of person who always talks about adventurousness, like that you seek adventurous music, that you seek music that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't sound like any other kind of music, well, Korn is the epitome of that. Korn, 
was a band when they came out in the mid-90s there was nothing that sounded like that and that first corn record um it helped to create this movement known as new metal and there were so many bands that came in the aftermath of that but even now when you listen to corn there's really no other band that still sounds like corn today um but one of the things we're going to be talking about in this podcast is is adventurous or idiosyncratic or or or, or unique or or a singular sound, is that the same thing as a good sound? <laughs> like, Just because you're innovative, does, does that also mean that you make enjoyable music? Um, I think, to me, that is one of the questions that new metal hinges on. You know, uh, whether we are going to take this genre seriously at some point when we talk about it in retrospect. Um, but I think it is a conversation worth having, you know, because again, we, right now, like in indie rock, you, you hear a lot of bands who are sort of aping the sound of like mid nineties alternative rock. You know, you have a band like Charlie Bliss, Roswell Kid, Waxahachie, you know, lots of bands that we've talked about on this podcast. Uh, even elements of like Car Seat Headrest and Cloud Nothings and Japan Droids. You can hear strains of the nineties uh in those bands' music. So you have that kind of thing going on where you can still feel a tangible influence. And then of course you have a lot of nostalgia right now for the early two thousands music of New York because of that book, Meet Me in the Bathroom. A lot of people are talking about the Strokes again, and yeah, yeah, yes, and of course LCD Sound System came out of that scene. Um, but no one's talking about new Metal. And new Metal was tremendously successful, very popular. You know, these bands sold millions of records. Uh, they definitely took over the culture there for a couple of years. Uh, I think you could you could uh, very logically argue that the, uh, that the cultural imp- imprint of like Limp Bizkit uh, is exponentially larger than that of the Strokes. Again, is that the same as being a good band, though? I mean, that's another thing we're going to be talking about in this episode. And I should mention, you know, I've been talking about new metal. I haven't talked about our guest. The person I'm going to be talking about this with is friend of the pod, one of our uh, most frequent guests, uh, Ian Cohen, rock critic. You might know him from Pitchfork. He's written for Stereo Gum, for Spin, for Noisy. And uh, when I wanted to do a new metal episode, for whatever reason, I thought of Ian Cohen first. I thought I gotta have him on, have him on my show, so I called him up, and uh, we had a really good conversation about it. And uh, you know, I don't think that this episode is a defense of new metal, but it's certainly a thoughtful examination of new metal, <laughs> where I think Ian and I we both have our opinions about it, but I think we try to set it aside and. And maybe give their these bands their due or more of a due than they're than they're used to getting. So uh, I'm excited to get into that. But before we do, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors this week, and that is Blue Apron. And of course, Blue Apron has been a loyal supporter of of Celebration Rock for a long time now, and we love Blue Apron too because they are, of course, the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. It's their mission to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. And they achieved this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. Now, with Blue Apron, and I've used this product, and, and uh, I would recommend it to anyone, it, you know, they, they basically they send you these great ingredients to your house, and they tell you how to turn those ingredients into really delicious meals. And, you know, for me, like I have a family, you know, and I work a full-time job, and at the end of the day, it's sometimes hard to plan a nutritious meal for your family. So this always comes in handy. And uh, they have some great upcoming meals coming up, including seared chicken and creamy pasta salad with summer squash and sweet peppers, creamy shrimp rolls with quick pickles and sweet potato wedges, fresh basil fettuccine pasta with sweet corn and cubanelle pepper and chili pepper steaks with Parmesan potatoes and spinach. These meals sound delicious, and they're very hard to say because there's a lot of elements to them. But again, Blue Apron always makes it simple for you to eat these meals that, let's be frank, if you're going to be cooking on your own, you're probably going to end up throwing in a frozen pizza or making grilled cheese or something. This stuff is so good. And uh, just to implore you to give Blue Apron a, a shot, you can... You can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com celebration. Again, this is a special deal for Celebration Rock listeners. You can 
check out the meal the menu and you get these three meals for free again you go to blueapron.com slash celebration uh and you get the free shipping with that too one more time that's blueapron.com slash celebration all right so ian and i we talked about new metal we we talked about sort of the reputation of, of new metal the legacy of new metal we defined what new metal is because new metal it's a label that gets thrown around a lot for you know hard rock bands of the late 90s and early 2000s not all bands are actually new metal though so we kind of figure out who that is we talk about who are the best bands that come out of this scene and the most lasting records and you know if you've never listened to new metal you might come away from this feeling a little bit more curious to check it out so I don't know whether you should thank me or blame me for that, but at any rate, Ian and I had a really good conversation about this. So here's me and Ian Cohen talking about new metal. So Ian, thank you for coming on. Friend of the pod, one of our most tenured guests. And, the Paul uh, Simon of it, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, or the, the Alec Baldwin, I think, at this point. Um, and I know it's like, okay, so we're talking, it's, it's July 5th. I don't know how you feel. I'm 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 slightly hungover from the <laughs> from the uh, holiday, um, and I know it's like eight in the morning where you are. You're in San Diego, so yeah. But you know what? It's like beautiful every single day, and like it's really hard to feel as if you know things are like no matter what you did the night before. It's always like a positive sort of thing, you know. With the exception of I guess like Stone Temple Pilots, I don't think you get a lot of miserable music from San Diego. <laughs> right. Well. We're gonna test that theory because I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna make you talk about new metal at eight in the morning in San Diego. And uh, you know, what? I was born for this, man. This <laughs> is this, this is like the this is like the uh, zenith of my career as a music journalist. It's all <laughs> led up to this. Well, okay, let's 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 start with this. I mean, I know for me personally, when when new metal was in its prime in the late '90s and early 2000s, that I I hated it. You know, it was something <laughs> I really was against. But over time. You know, I've my feelings have sort of mellow, mellowed on it, and I'm not going to say I feel affectionate toward it, but there's definitely elements of it that I've come to appreciate. Certain songs, certain bands, uh, you know, I, I've warmed to in the past 20 years. I'm curious about you. Like, what were your feelings about new metal at the time when it was when it was everywhere, and have those feelings changed at all over the years? I think the most important thing to really qualify right now is, you know, what exactly falls under the new metal umbrella because, you know, when I, when it, it seems to me to be more of like a time period, as you mentioned, like late nineties, early two thousands. And I guess that's like come to encompass everything from like rap metal, like your Lincoln parks and, um, you know, Limp Bizkit and corn to bands. Like I, I know that was like used to talk about bands like uh, Nickelback and like stained even um, in that part. So it's like, it, it almost like is more, indicative of like a time period and a certain aesthetic. But if we're talking about it is, I mean, I actually worked in alternative rock radio from uh, 2001 to 2002. And that's, you know, we were playing a lot of those bands. And, um, you know, at the time I remember making like a 60 minute burn CD of like the songs I liked against my will um, and I wish I could find it because um, I, you know, I just remember what was on. I think Adima was on there and like Seether, like one of those songs and Chevelle. Um, like at the time, like Limp Bizkit, Corn. you know what? I just never really got into it. I made an attempt, um, especially with like a band like Corn, who I found to be very interesting. Um, did I actively like hate it? Too to a certain extent, but I, I mean, even as like a 19 year old and 18 year old, there's like someone for whom uh, new metal was like, I don't know, possibly designed for. I just never really got into that. That music was like really angry and aggro, whereas I preferred alternative rock that was just more kind of sad. Right. Um, so, I mean, it, 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 it all, it just seems so like connected with like, the boy band stuff and like TRL that you kind of realize that it's shelf life was inevitably going to, it was going to have an inevitably short shelf life. So it was kind of fun to watch while it was happening. Um, but at the same time, you could just sort of tell like in a few years, something else is going to happen. Right. 
Well, you bring up an interesting thing here, and and maybe this is the time to do it. Like we should maybe define what new metal is exactly, because to me, yeah, you because know, you mentioned how that that title was applied to bands like Nickelback and uh, uh, like Stained and, and maybe even Creed, like yeah, which to me are basically just straightforward hard rock bands. Yeah, they're uh, grunge bands, right? Or, or yeah, like a neo grunge type thing. And yeah. um, to me, new metal was this thing where you were taking elements of like Rage Against the Machine, Faith No More, mm-hmm. Red Hot Chili Peppers, the sort of groove metal of like Pantera, like all that early '90s music, and then combining it with elements of hip hop. So yeah. really talking about Corn being kind of ground zero of new mm-hmm. metal, and then the bands that came after that. You know the Limp Biscuits, uh, the the System of a Down, uh, Incubus, the Deftones, like early yeah. Deftones. I think Linkin Park is a part of that. They're they're yeah, sort of I like the most like kind of pop friendly version of that. And then you get like the Pods of the world, Papa Roach, <laughs> Hoobastank, Alien Ant Farm. You get Crazy Town. Oh you know. man, you did you did your homework, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I was good. I'm I'm preparing for this. So you know, yeah. and talking about you know front men taking their shirts off, piercings, tattoos, really ugly album covers, um, <laughs> Woodstock 99. You know, these are the things I associate with new metal. I mean, does that kind of blanket definition, does that yeah, work for you? Yeah, I, I, I think that one works for me. Like, it's sort of... Um, yeah. I, mean, I, think, I, think I think, like, the DJ, really like, having a DJ in the band and, like, having some sort of hip-hop element fused with that sort of early 90s kind of funky, groovy metal alternative rock, hard rock stuff. I think that's where new metal comes from. I would concur, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, at the t- it's the whole thing, you know, objects in the rear view appearing closer than they are with a lot of uh, nostalgia. Like, you'll, you know, w- when there's, like, a package hip-hop tour, like a package rock tour from bands that were popular, like, 20 years ago, um, it was stuff that never really seemed to have be in the same lane at the time, but then you just kind of like mash it all together. Um, so I guess that's, that's why, you know, new metal in retrospect is being applied to just, you know, where, where you would think like Creed and Lincoln Park are playing the same game. So right. yeah, your definition of new metal is really is much, much more distinct. And I think it's interesting that, um, you know, you bring up like Faith No More and Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, those bands in particular. I remember reading, um, I believe, I don't know if, if Chuck Klosterman was like um, referring to an interview or one he did with Korn where they basically said our, our, you know, our history as a band or our listening goes back no further than like Faith No More and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like they never listened to Pink Floyd. They never listened to the Beatles or the Zeppelins or, or Rolling Stones and I think that's like where nowadays I get the more I'm like more willing to be uh, I take a positive view to a certain degree about uh, new metal because in the new like the umlaut and the U I mean that's like meant to mock it but it was like kind of new like it was a form of rock music that um, in some way like it was a real break from you know just the kind of like blues rock template and there's something kind of exciting about that. Um, yeah, the, when you, especially if you listen to like Korn's first album, um, the one that came out in like ni- I believe 1995 or yeah. 1994, it's it sounded really like nothing. It, it's like a real before and after moment for metal. Um, it's it's something that just like it's completely original and um, in some ways, I mean, you'll, you're you're I'm sure you'll find now that like. You know, some critics who grew up with it are like really, really like stumped for its importance. Um, I mean, but you know, it's just the lyrical content and like the the aggression is just so hard to really um, tap into if you're outside of a certain age range or like a certain mood. Like it's it's really inapplicable to like 99 percent of all human moods. So, um, but yeah, I mean, like it. It's like a it's like a genre of music in my estimation that's like really looking to be I don't know if re- like repurposed in a useful way. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and uh, what you say there, I think, is 
if you're going to launch a defense of new metal, and I'm not sure exactly if we're doing that in this episode, <laughs> but to some degree maybe we are, that if you're going to defend new metal, I think that what that music had in its favor was what you said, that it was a type of music that was not beholden to sort of the lineage of rock music, that it was yeah. legitimately new. And, um, you know, when we talk about, you know, the early 2000s, you know, that, that meet me in the bathroom era that people yeah. are, are sort of rap society, you know, that we're very nostalgic about right now. I mean, that was, if you look at it from a pro new metal point of view, you could very easily paint, bands like the Strokes and the White Stripes and all those New York bands as sort of being a conservative regression to the progression of new metal that like new metal was trying to create something that hadn't really been that really hadn't existed in rock music before whereas a lot of those early 2000s bands were sort of returning to the lineage of rock history and restoring that as an important uh, signpost in in music um you know, it's easy to kind of look at that as sort of a conservative backlash, maybe in a way, to what new metal was. If you look at it from a new metal point of view. Now, what I would say is mm -hmm. that, well, before I, I get into that point, let, let's talk about corn. Like you talk about how that was a real before and after moment uh, in uh, the history of metal for people that haven't listened to corn or have avoided them up until now. Like, what exactly is it about that record you think that was so revolutionary or so different? Um, I would say that first, it, it, it completely does away with um, the idea of using like guitar. Like, for, like there's songs that you just cannot play on acoustic guitar at all. Like when you think <laughs> about like the lineage of rock music to that point, um, the guitars tend to like work with like chords and you know identifiable riffs. Whereas um, Korn took what. Like, when you look at old Rage Against the Machine, well, they're all, all the Rage Against the Machine records are old now, but um, they made it a point to uh, say in the credits that they did not use keyboards, uh, that essentially Tom Morello, what he was doing was making his guitar sound like uh, like a turntable or things on Public Enemy records. And when you when you hear the, uh, I mean, with Korn, first off, the seven-string guitars, um, typically used only by people who were in like dream theater or whatever, where you just like solo with an extra string. But what they did is um, they tuned the, the guitars really, really low. So, um, and, or they played like really, really high on the fretboard. So it emulated like rap, like, you know, bomb squad sounds or like, you know, ice cube, um, corn covered an ice cube song on life is PG. Wicked. Um, the cover song. Wicked, Wicked. with yeah. Chino Moreno on it, which is just like, I mean, if you want to talk, like one of the definitive moments of like new metal, um, but yeah, so it was the it, it was just really aggro, like just all this energy, like the energy of like hardcore, but like spread out to like four or five minute songs, and musically like the bass, it just um, no real formal training, it just kind of sounded like kind of just like buffler dragging sometimes. Um, yeah, very rhythmic just, style playing. Where yeah, very, like all this, all, like very textural. Um, there's like no real riffs, um, and it it just creates this like like a very um, like hip hop like um, you know with like record scratching or just like you know the move synthesizers that like G, that like you know the synthesizer you would hear on like a you know, a Dr. Dre record or something like that, and um, and it's just almost like completely removing the funk from uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers and Faith No More and just going like straight aggro metal. Um, so uh, to it, it's, it is, I think, I think it's fair to call it like fairly tuneless. Um, yeah. It, and, not, and not like necessarily in a negative way, but just very <laughs> melodically abstract and just pure aggression to the point where, um, you know, why would you like want to play like power chords? It's, it just doesn't sound like something that evolved from blues at all, which is what you could say for pretty much all rock music that was popular up to that point. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the difference between like Rage Against the Machine and Corn, you know, because people sometimes will will group Rage Against the Machine into new metal, which you know yeah. is something that they will that that the band itself always resisted. But when you listen to Rage Against the Machine, you can hear Led Zeppelin, and yeah, of that, they have that sort of groove to it it's you know the the rhythm section is very much like a john bonham type you know in your face aggressive kind yeah. of in a straightforward and the riffs are there too 
the riffs are there too. And even with Tom Morello doing his sort of like turntable-y type sounds on the guitar, he still also played big 70s style rock riffs on those records. Yeah, the turntable stuff is just on like the solo. Right. Otherwise, he's like playing like Black Dog, you know? (laughs) Right. And then you listen to the Korn record, uh, that first Korn record, which comes out a couple years later, and there is no Led Zeppelin at all on that. And it's using the guitars and the bass to create soundscapes, almost. Yeah. Where it, it's not just doing record scratches like on a guitar the way Tom Morello did. It's like using the instruments to create this really kind of chaotic thing that, that just permeates all aspects of the music. Yeah. And Jonathan Davis as well. Like, you know, Zach Aloroka, like, very clearly modeled after Chuck D. Whereas, like, Jonathan Davis, like, just, I, I mean, it's kind of the more, like, abstract nature of, like, um, you know, Faith No More like, um, you know, what they were doing, but just, like, more scatting, like, not actual rhyming or rapping. Like, he's not, like, you know, trying to rap, really. Right. It's this very uncontrolled, like, deep trauma sort of venting. And I think that's what makes Korn um, more interesting to revisit because, you know, you read the stories about, like, what was leading up to the first, you know, I think he worked at, like, a mortuary or something like that. (laughs) Just, like, really just really, really traumatic things from his childhood that he was, like, airing out. I mean, the and, like, living first in, corn... And they're from the Bakersfield. Yeah, sorry about that. We're, like, stepping over each other. It's like a corn song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. But the, the, the corn album ends with, like, him crying in the booth on a song called, like, Daddy, which is, you know, just about, like, his, you know, abuse growing up. Whereas, as, you know, new metal came on, you know, you, you, it's more just, like, adult, you know, suburban white dude you know, whining. Um, so I think that's really what makes the first corn out. Like it's so, um, it's so unpremeditated in a way. Like it's not the sort of thing where you feel like they went to the studio thing, like, yeah, this is like going to change. Like it's just, there was really no playbook, um, for that kind of emotional venting or, and the music as well. It's just two aspects came together in a way that is, extraordinarily powerful um even if you don't necessarily like it you know yeah and it is interesting to talk about that record in the context of what uh new metal became because i feel like by the end of the decade uh you know there were all these factors that kind of came into play it was sort of like the last stand of the music industry where there was all this there was still a lot of money in the industry Uh before napster came in and you know New metal bands really benefited from that. You had Limp Bizkit oh, yeah. selling, you know, eight million copies of Significant Other, you know, because it was sort of like the last boom period. And I feel like by the end of the decade, it became sort of this hair metal thing where, like, people associated new metal. There was this angry thing to it, but it also seemed very excessive and, like, kind of like, you know, bro party, like, frat guy type music. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it kind of came from this more sort of idiosyncratic place with that first corn record. Hello, friends. It's Derek Madden, a producer and occasional guest on Celebration Rock. Don't worry. Uh, much more excellent conversation coming up in a minute. But I wanted to talk to you about our friends at Harry's. Now, uh, if you don't know, I've got a shaved head. So I do a lot of shaving. I got a lot of area to shave. And one of the reasons why I love Harry's uh, so much is because they make that part of the shaving process really easy. It's super great and comfortable to shave with the Harry's blade. You get a close shave. It doesn't nick up your face or, in my case, your head. And I'll tell you what else I like about Harry's because when you have a lot of area to shave, invariably you wind up going through a lot of razors. And if you've ever been to uh, the uh, drugstore, to, to get razors and had that sticker shock when you're looking at what five razor blades is going to cost you, you'd know why you might need Harry's in your life. You see, Harry's is all about a great shave at a fair price. That's why they have over 3 million guys who've switched to Harry's. If you haven't heard the story, Jeff and Andy were two guys who got fed up with that sticker shock at the drugstore and said, hey, let's start our own razor company. We'll get our own factory. They have their own German factory with over 100 years of blade-making experience, and that enables them to offer their blades at half the price of the leading five-blade razor. 
Now, Harry's is so confident you're going to love their blades, they will give you their trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com slash rock. You know, like Celebration Rock, harrys.com slash rock. You just pay for the shipping. So to claim your free trial offer from Harry's today, it's a $13 value for free. When you sign up, just cover the shipping, harrys.com slash rock. That's harrys.com slash rock. Now back to the pod. You know, it's interesting. Like for me, I think one of the things I reacted to at the time when New Metal was ascendant was that it was the first form of like youth music mm-hmm. like that I did not understand. That like, like I was 18, 19 years old, like when those bands really took over MTV. And, you know, I had been a loyal MTV viewer my entire life up until that point. And around 96, 97, 98, it was all new metal bands and it was all boy bands. And I was like, holy shit, like I'm already an old man at like 19 because none of this music speaks to me anymore. Like I've, I've already aged out of the demographic for like what mtv is directing at you know like what the youth culture is so i think that was you know part of my reaction uh to it at the time you know also i mean you know like looking back on it you know like we're talking about corn here as being this sort of iconoclastic band um i wonder you know is that the same as being good you know, because I feel like, because the critical cliche is always to talk about adventurous music and like music should always be pushing forward. It should always be different. And I feel like there's a limit to that at some point where maybe it's just about good songwriting and it's about, you know, craft and that kind of thing that maybe if you can get to a point where things break down so much that, yeah, it's, you can admire it in a way, but like, is that the same as being good? Like, are we saying that Korn is a good band? You know, that's, that's, that's something I've thought about very recently in regards to um, when you look at Odd Future, let's say, which is a band that, uh, or, you know, a movement, if you will, that shares a lot of the same um, aspects as new metal. And I thought, because like some of the things they're really influenced by, like, uh, you know, the first nerd record and like, I thought like 808 and Heartbreaks, I think it's the classic example of like a super influential album that actually kind of sucks. Um, and it's like, you can't deny the influence of it. Um, at the same time though, like corn is a thing where you can't really talk about like corn has, and like Limp biscuit, like you can't really identify, um, it as being like influential on like a lot of good music. I mean, I know like in 2015, there was like kind of like a bump in, you know, like I know, like um, Grimes and One of Tricks Point never, it's, you know, mentioned like new metal being like kind of a influence on their new records and like you can sort of see what, where they're coming through. But it's like, um, yeah, I I think Corn or Limp Biscuit or whatever being good is a real eye of the beholder thing. I think there's certain acts from that, like, you know, Sizzle and Down are like a legitimately great band, like so are Death Band. Um, but, you know, those, but those, those bands aren't quite as new. They quite as new metal as like Limp Bizkit and Corn and even Slipknot. I think comes into that picture a bit. Um, yeah. It's just something that's so um, antithetical to like what people what people would talk about as being like good or influential or whatever that. And, and, and to this day, it's, it hasn't really infiltrated. Like it's just so strange to think about like this music selling so many records and like um you know being something to reckon with because i mean there if there are like if you look at any house of blues across the country there's going to be a band like you know bands of this nature like bands like issues who's named after a corn album they're pretty popular um you know attila they were they were hilarious for a while i mean this stuff still exists and it still sells, but it's, there's because there's no MTV um, and you, there isn't really that captive art. You don't have to like really reckon with it anymore. So, I mean, but the, I wouldn't say that like those, the core albums are great, but they're not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, right, I, but, I, I kind of lean in that direction. I feel like those first three corn albums in particular, I think that they mm-hmm. should be, um, talked about and discussed in terms of mm. sort of the history of rock music and the history of 90s music as being like 
definite singular achievements for what they are and like uh, sort of redefining the form. But they, you know, I think they were innovative in a lot of ways. But they're, they're sort of innovative in the same way that like Ingve Malmsteen is a great guitarist. Like, you know, he's an innovative guitarist. I don't really want to hear him play guitar, but I admire his technique and I, I can point to things that he did that would be innovative. And that's the same thing with Korn to me, where I don't necessarily want to listen to them, but I appreciate just the sort of vision that they had and the influence that they had at the time. I mean, like to me, what the, 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 the legacy of new metal is that it helped, it was the midwife for rock music exiting pop music. That, that this was the music that, it was mainstream rock music for a long time. Like this was the sound of mainstream rock. But it had the aesthetics of hip hop. And I think a lot of people in that audience, when they got over new metal, they just stuck with hip hop and they abandoned the rock music. So like yeah. maybe like if if those bands had been part of a rock lineage, like those that audience might have stuck maybe with more with rock music. Um, but I think there was that, and there was also the fact that that that, that music, while it was very popular with a certain audience, I think it was so abrasive and so mm-hmm. obnoxious to like everybody else that like when that was the sound of mainstream rock music, I don't think that, I think the crossover appeal was somewhat limited. Like, it, if you're going to compare it to, like, 90s alt-rock, you know, it didn't have the melodicism of that. It didn't have the sort of attractive rock stars of that time. Yeah. You know, like the sort of photogenic people that get on album covers. You know, it was, like, ugly-sounding music made by ugly-sounding people with yeah. ugly album covers. And it was something that, like, if you weren't into it, you just wanted to avoid it. So, yeah, to me, I think that's, you know, I think it's a major thing. Like, I mean, it, it's almost, you know, it's, I'd say it's more likely that like rock music was going like in that direction anyway, separating itself from like the mainstream culture. But, uh, you know, when you look at where, where that came, like, I don't think people would be uh, distraught if, you know, if, if bands like Soundgarden and like whatever, like, you know, the band, whoever you want to define as being the definitive artist of, like, 90s alt-rock kind of kept going. Likewise, I don't think you, anyone would have been um, sad if, like, like, I don't think there would be like, a huge issue if, like, the Strokes and Interpol, like, continued, like, to make great records throughout the, you know, 2000s and, like, were, became as super popular as everyone wanted them to be. But, like, new metal was something people were just like, let's just, like, white-knuckle it until this shit goes away because <laughs> it probably will. Right, like it, it just didn't seem very sustainable, um, you know. And it did, it did progress, and to a certain like, I mean, you listen to like the first Corn album, and, like Three Dollar Bill, y'all, and then get to what I consider to be the zenith, like um, you know the the um, you know the the OK Computer and like Loveless of that era, where if you will, it's like you know Significant Other and Follow the Leader, um, like those two were just. I mean, and at that point, those were like critically acclaimed records too. You could kind of see where, you know, you get the you get the preview of like 2017 style writing, where it was just like, you know what, let's just roll with it. Like, let's see where let's see where the positive thing is. But um, you could just tell that like it was something that people were just waiting to be over, and you know, those bands obliged because it was very hair metal. It was very druggy. Um, it was very, it wasn't like, unlike Caramel, it wasn't very fun. That's one thing I kind of noticed um, well, about when, when, when thinking about like new metal is that like there weren't like, it wasn't like most of the time, like Caramel was like very, like obviously like, objectifying towards women and, and like misogynistic and like a kind of, in a, in a, you know, in a very overt way. But like it was almost with like new metal, like women didn't even exist. Right. Like, you're not going to find too many, like, corn uh, songs about, I mean, there's, like, one or two about, like, going out and, like, and fucking partying. Um, same with, like, Limp Biscuit too. Um, it, it, it was all very, it, and, you know, like, good luck finding, like, a, you know, a song about women on, like, a Slipknot record. It just wasn't very party-conducive music, which is why you won't hear, you know, you'll have, like, hair metal parties, but, like, that won't happen with new metal. I will say, I think... When I when I revisit that era, that there are certain Limp Biscuit songs that I think are like kind of fun. Like I think Nookie is such a stupid. Okay, yeah, that's, that's Nookie's Nookie's a pretty stupid song, but it's like you know it's it's pretty infectious. I've always, um, 
like the song My Way for some reason. That that song has always kind of cool. done it for me. It's, I, I guess that's a guilty pleasure. I, I don't know if that's a fun song really, but My Way, there's that song. It's funny because the song Break Stuff took on this. Yeah, Break Stuff. It kind of took on this you know, very sinister connotation after Woodstock 99, you know, like where Limp Bizkit yeah. was playing at Woodstock 99, and that was a very sort of new metal oriented festival that year. You had Korn mm-hmm. perform that year. You had some other sort of aggro bands playing. But Limp Bizkit's performance was the most infamous because, uh, you know, they play the song Break Stuff and people are like literally taking plywood from, you know, like where the light tower is and like they're surfing on plywood and people are starting to riot and like raid uh, concession stands and start fires. And, you know, there, there were lots of sexual assaults that year. It was just a disaster. And Limp Bizkit was blamed... In a, in a way that's similar to how the Rolling Stones were blamed for Altamont, like at the end of the yeah. 60s. Like Woodstock 99 kind of had that similar feel to it. Um, but when you watch the video for Break Stuff, it's like kind of a fun video. It's like all these like people lip syncing to the song. It's like fans of the band. You have like mm-hmm. a couple celebrities. Like, you know, it's this sort of like uh, cathartic, like, hey, you had a bad day at work today. Let's play this song. You know, like that kind of vibe to it. Um, so, like, there are some Limp Bizkit songs that I like for that reason. But, yeah, but yeah. for the most part, yeah, it's not a very fun thing. I mean, like, when I think about new Metal, I think about, like, A.J. Soprano, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, like A.J. Soprano to me is, like, the quintessential new Metal fan wearing, like, the oversized black T-shirt that has, like, Cold Chamber on it or something <laughs> with the backwards baseball cap, just this sullen kind of asshole teenager who you know as as asshole teenagers are are apt to do they they pick the most obnoxious music that they can to get behind and you know new metal is among the most obnoxious of all obnoxious music you know like yeah. you, it, and maybe in some respects you can defend it on that level that like if you know is there anything really today that if you're a rebellious teenager that you can listen to that is really going to irritate people like i don't think so i mean like, well uh, oh yeah i mean there's definitely like i mean odd future was really that in a way i guess um, but like it's there, not a, but that's not on the same level as like new metal was like in terms of popularity well no but what is though i mean like there is that stuff and it's probably happening on like a soundcloud page you know it could be like i don't know like little peep or little pump or like um any of those other or you know the any of those other like rappers that like you know generate a million views or so off YouTube and, um, you know, aren't on MTV. Like if there is that sort of thing, um, it is not at the, it's not at the visual level. I mean, that's what I mean though. You, like, you, you, you've got to go to like Reddit and like see what's popping there. Like there isn't going to be anything that's like covered like, on a, on a mainstream level that's going to get you that sort of effect. But that's my point. Like the point is, is that people who hate it have to know about it. And that's what makes it irritating. Like little peep, like who's that irritating? Like anyone who knows who, I mean, I guess there's people maybe within that culture that would hate that kind of music. But like, I I just feel like on a mass scale, you know, like like Limp Bizkit became this sort of epitome of like what people hate about music. You know, people, I mean, there was like a Limp Bizkit joke in Deadpool, you know, <laughs> people still oh, use that. Deadpool 5, rocking the suburbs, man. <laughs> and really, I mean, that's why we were still talking about Nickelback. Like people still make Nickelback jokes and, you know, we're saying that Nickelback isn't new metal, but they came out of that era. Like there isn't yeah. a new band that is famous enough to be hated on that kind of level where, where you can just say the name and it works as like a de facto music that sucks type thing like we're still kind of referring to this era like as the most obnoxious era you know that we can use as like a reference point for like what we hate you know which i think is interesting yeah i mean if if there is maybe we'll we won't know it and for like another i mean even it, it probably won't be you know like it probably won't even be something like ed sheeran or whatever like that's not like, people think he sucks, but it's not, like, obnoxious in the same degree. Like, we're, it's not someone trying to be obnoxious, which right. I guess is the difference, so. Yeah, I feel, um, like, I feel like he's hated, like, in a Coldplay kind of way, where people don't like how, you know, maybe innocuous he is, but yeah, he's not, yeah, it's like, it's sort of like the anti-New Metal, where I feel like New Metal was, 
you know, again, like trying to push those buttons in a lot of ways. Yeah. Just in the attitude and just like how that music sounds. Like it is not music that anyone, I think, if you're not on board, it it just sounds like shit, you know, basically. And there's just not a lot of good entry points. But I think for the people who love it, I think in a way maybe that was, was part of the appeal. I want to tell you about our sponsor for this week's episode. It's our old friends at SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to buy tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at all the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, for me, I am planning to go see you 2 on the Joshua Tree Tour. Uh, they're going to be coming to my town in, in September, actually the day after my 40th birthday, which going to see you 2 the day after your 40th birthday, I feel like the screenwriter of my life is being very unoriginal right now. But it, regardless, I'm going to go see you 2 and Beck is opening for that show too, which will be interesting. So I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. If you want to use SeatGeek, I have a special offer for all my listeners here. All you need to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter in promo code CELEBRATION today. And if you do that, you will get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Again, you just get the app. You enter in the, the promo code CELEBRATION, and you will get $20 off your first purchase. I know you guys are going to buy tickets anyway because you're listening to this podcast and you're big music fans. So if you just get this app, you're going to get cheaper tickets. So it seems like a great deal. Again, download the app, enter in CELEBRATION, get your $20 off at SeatGeek. Let's talk about high points in new metal. I, I would love to. Because I know we both... You know, I, I like I was saying, like I've I I kind of appreciate Limp Bizkit now in a way that I now appreciate Poison. You know, like I feel like they have some songs that are very just they they, they remind me of the era, and I, I I've kind of come around uh, to them in that way. Um, you know, you mentioned System of a Down being you know a great band, and I think they are sort of like the thinking man's new metal band. I know that we're both Deftone fans. Chino yeah. Moreno was a guest on this show. He's a Celebration Rock. He got the Celebration Rock bump on his last mm-hmm. record. Um, <laughs> but I know you're a, a huge Deftone, fans and, uh, yes. a Deftone fan, and uh, particularly the record White Pony, I know is yeah. big for you. Like, I mean, with, it, it's interesting how Deftone is playing into this history, because I mean, like, they are, like, I know at this point they've like had like a career that's allowed them to kind of, you know, escape that sort of grouping, but they'll always be judged relative to it. And like, don't like, they were a rap metal band, like a new metal band when they got started. Like they, Chino Moreno rapped on uh, Ice Cube cover on Corn album. And then they made um, the rap remix of, uh, you know, back to school for uh, white pony, because that was the whole thing about that tones. Like, why aren't they selling Corn numbers. Why aren't they selling Limp Biscuit numbers? And um, they, they, you know, White Pony. I mean, in, in some ways, um, Around the Fur is like more innovative than White Pony because, like, White Pony took like you know cues from like The Cure and like Radiohead and um, you know uh, like trip hop and things that were pretty um, understand like things that were part of the canon. Whereas like around the fur is like almost like a dub record. It's just there's very little like form and very little. Um, it's all very kind of weeded out in a way that you know the first corn record is. Um, but System of a Down to me is another high point. Like they remind me more of like a band like Faith No More. Yeah. Um, very very little um, of that sort of machismo that was going on like with um, that that new metal was defined by like they were definitely like weird um that's at the same time though like there are elements of like you know hip-hop or just unconventional side of musicality uh but those bands you know system of down and death sounds are two like those are like the those are like your first line of defense when you're you know getting with new metal but i think in a way um you can look back on follow the leader by corn 
um, you know, got the life and uh, Freak on a Leash as being, you know, I don't like those are songs where you can look, like point like those are time capsule songs right there. Same with Nookie and Break Stuff, and even the one like where you know the Limp Bizkit song with Method Man. Um, you could put those together and just say like this was, you know, in the same sense that you could say like you know, is this it was a time capsule like. Those are time castle songs where you just kind of can see the trajectory. Um, I think the, and Slipknot is another tough band to really frame with it because, I mean, they were produced by Ross Robinson, the same guy who did um, the first Corn record, the guy who um, is synonymous with new metal production. Um, you know, but once again, more of like a Corn sort of like coming from like a dark metal. But, you know, the, the first two, like, Slim Not Out with the self-title in Iowa, like, they're super interesting. I mean, I just can't get into them, um, that mindset and lyrically, but, like, I mean, just having that many people play, you know, they have, like, three, like, a couple drummers. I always love that in a band, you know, the turntablism. It's just so, it's just, when you want to listen to that band, nothing else will, like, nothing else will suffice yeah i mean i I was gonna say that i've come around on that first slipknot record that that came out in 99 which is like i guess would be the middle period of new metal maybe yeah it seems so much older to me it's i I would think it's like oh that's like 96 but yeah it's like not that old but like to me that record i mean in a way it it seems like a little more metal than like because there are some like turntable elements i think on that record um, but a, like, the lyric where Chuck D where you need them, but <laughs> yeah, but like I think, but I think of that as being like kind of going back more to like the metal side. Like there's, there's like it's a little riffier I think than than Corn was. I mean, even Limp Biscuit had some like kind of riffage elements to them, but then you had Fred Durst over the top of it, you know, rapping mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, Slipknot. I don't think there's not really like rapping. Is there on, on Slipknot records? Um, there is. To a certain, it's like yell rapping. Um, it's not like, you know, the dude spitting lyrics or whatever, but um, at the same time, there's the, the sort of like lyrical content and like the word use. Like, um, I would say the first one is very like, it, there is some hip hop element to it. Like, you can't, like, there is, there is kind of like a shouting sort of thing but it's, it's it's not it's certainly not singing but um like i feel like slipknot it, is maybe like more palatable to like the eddie trunks of the world you know like the metal <laughs> classicists you know because yeah. especially like how they were I mean, they, they get nominated for like i looked at like they've been nominated for like at least 10 grammys most of which are best metal performance yeah and yeah they had like a pretty good critical reputation i think um yeah and, and they also had you know they had a great look i mean they were wearing like the matching jumpsuits like, with the, the masks and which is a very, you know, you could say that they were like the kiss of their day, you know, they, yeah. they you know, for a long time, you yeah. didn't know what their names were. They all went by different numbers. Um, so it was a great sort of gimmick in that way, like a great visual representation. In a way, if you want to make a connection to the Meet Me in the Bathroom bands, all those bands wore costumes, too, in a way, like the Strokes <laughs> had the leather jackets, you know, the Hives had their matching suits. It's very yeah. important to have costumes like bands. Not enough bands now have costumes like where they or, dress or alike, just like a, or just like an image, really. I mean, yeah, you know, corn. But it's a visual aesthetic, were, you know. There's, there's, a, yeah, there's a power in that. That was their thing, you know. That like, you know, going on from Run DMC, like they, they had, and I think one of the, um, I, I just remember, like, I remember this issue of Rolling Stone that had Slipknot on the cover and like a four star review of Is This It, um, <laughs> which is like really where like, you know, the crossroads of of rock. Um, right. And, yeah. and of course, Slipknot was on the cover and the review yeah. of the strokes was on the inside of the, of the magazine. So, I mean, yeah, that was 2000. I remember that because I was at Virginia and like the shittiest college bar was somehow named like one of the best college bars in the country. I, 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 <laughs> it was just so bizarre. Like all that, like just kind of ha- like, even as nerdy as it sounds like I you just have to remember where you were when that thing like happened. But, um, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's, Rap metal, like, and I think that was a thing that a lot of new metal bands took from hip hop was the branding. I mean, like Fred Durst with the Yankees hat. Um, System of a Down and Deftones didn't really do that as much. But, um, yeah, it, new metal, I think, kind of just celebrated the idea of being popular. 
and like having costumes and like having an image. Um, you know, they weren't the, the bands that were to follow like the Strokes and Interpol, like Interpol wore suits. Yeah. Like that was very, very protracted. Um, and yeah, but you know, like that was all that stuff I think was a response to, um, you know, what was happening with like alt rock in the, uh, you know, the late mid to late nineties where it was like very image free. And if you're like 12 years old and like a kid who, you know, just likes to go like against authority or whatever, you're going to like gravitate towards the new metal stuff. So perhaps like that's, perhaps that's what's going to happen in a few years with where rock is right now. I mean, maybe on like a much, much more smaller scale, but, um, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting because like in, in that book, meet me in the bathroom at the beginning of the book, you have people referencing new metal as this sort of scourge, you know, in the way that like hair metal was seen as like this scourge in the early nineties when alternative rock came in, you know, there mm-hmm. seemed to be this parallel that like, Oh, now, these New York bands are going to come in and they're going to wipe away new metal in the same way that that, that all, alternative music, you know, supposedly did to hair metal. But that Which never didn't happen at all. Didn't, it didn't really happen in the early '90s, and it didn't really it didn't happen at all in the early 2000s. I mean, new metal kind of ran out of gas on its own, but those New York bands didn't really rise up to totally take their place. Yeah, like Nickelback to this day will still like top a chart. Like same with like Disturbed. If you want to talk about like kind of a band that really bridges the gap between new metal and like, you know, new grunge. It's, um, yeah, that sounds yeah, a silence cover. Because, yeah. <laughs> you, you always see like, um, you know, with writers, they always want to be the change. They, they, they try to be the change they want to see in the world. And like, you'll like with, with the New York stuff, it was just like a lot of New York writers, very legitimately excited about things, but it's, you know, that metal, new metal is like something they can't control and they have like no say in the um, formation of that narrative. It was like all bands from like really outside, like Korn was from, from like Bakersfield. Bakersfield, California, yeah. Yeah, which I don't know if you've ever been to Bakersfield, but that's like, uh, that's, you know, that is, that, I mean, besides like, the, like a country, like Hall of Fame thing going on there with like Buck, like that is a very, um, unfortunately, like the press part of, of the country, Corn, like Slipknot from Iowa, like Limp Biscuit from like Jacksonville, Florida, yeah, um, Deftones from Sacramento, like all these bands were, and well, System of a Down was an LA band, like, but um, still like kind of out, outsiders because you know when you know there aren't many Armenian voices in um, you know in rock music, so they're. So they they don't really fit the image um, that a lot of people have for rock bands. But I mean, when I think new metal too was like very teen oriented. Again, it was like going back to the AJ Soprano thing. Like that's what the typical new metal fan sounded like. And I think that with a lot of those early two thousands bands, it was kind of returning it almost to like you had to be able to drink or or older. I, I feel like the audience for those bands were like people in clubs already. Um, yeah, you know, and I'm sure that there were teenagers too. I mean, I, I mean, I talk to bands all the time that were really into the Strokes, like when they were kids. So I mean, I know that there were teenagers that listened to that too. But it seemed like oh, yeah. there was, you know, the, the bands weren't singing about teen angst. You know, the Strokes did. Yeah. You know, the, the Strokes, the yeah, yeah, yeahs. It wasn't talking about you know being 14 and hating your principal or something. It was yeah. Um, it was a little bit more of an adult point of view, which um, is a good thing. And a bad thing, in a way. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. Um, I mean, the reason I, I wanted to talk to you about this is that I felt like new metal, in a way, that I feel like we've skipped the nostalgic era for new metal. Like, we, we went from the 90s, and now it seems like we're going to the early 2000s. I mean, do you think new metal is going to have its day of revival? Like, are we going to see new, new metal bands? Or is there going to be a book that comes out and, like, recontextualizes this scene and makes us all feel different about it uh, that we do now? I would say that um, new metal, and I know this is like kind of a cop-out answer, like it never really went away. Like there are certain popular acts that like, if you look at Billboard, there will always be like some band debuting in the top 10 where you're just like, where did that happen? Like bands in like all, who are covered in like alt press and um, Revolver and, you know, those other 
you know, very focused on metal and that's it magazines. And so you, you'll, you'll definitely have that sort of thing going on where like it'll, there, there's like a built-in audience for that. Yeah. Um, well, they will never achieve any sort of like mainstream acceptance. Um, but as far as like the nostalgia for it, I mean, you can kind of get bands joking about it. Um, you know, like I, I know that like some bands just that kind of mentioned, yeah, we're like really into like, you know, we kind of revisited new metal, but it's like seems like kind of a joke and they'll never like look here like Ross Robinson. You like no credible band is going to get like Ross Robinson in the studio or like, you know, get like a DJ. Uh, we're just going to sit in the back of the video and not really do anything. Um, <laughs> you know, people will still say, like, yeah, I like Incubus, but, or Deftones, but it's always going to be, like, like a trace element rather than, like, a real... And here's the thing. If there is, um, like, a meet me in the bathroom for that sort of era, I feel like maybe there already is one. I, I know there's been, like, a lot of oral histories, but um, I think that could be super interesting. Like I would read the shit out of it just because that was a time where there was so much money. Um, and like these bands were like actually famous that it would be just interesting for me from like a historical perspective. Oh, but yeah. No, of course. It, 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 when you look at like the kind of values of uh, it, the, the, like everything about new metal just seems like so regressive now in terms of, uh, its attitudes and the fact that it was just like, you know, angry white dudes from the suburbs. Like, no one really wants to hear their story. Um, and, you know, perhaps rightfully so, but I mean, like, I don't... Does anyone really want it to come back? Like, that's the thing. It's like with the Strokes and Interpol and, like, um, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty well... I, I think it's pretty well established that those bands make, make, make great music um, and that you know, people are nostalgic for it because um, even that music, you know, the strokes and so forth, like, you know, popular bands that like people really give a shit about, like that seems very antithetical to the current moment. But yeah, um, yeah it just seems like, um, yeah, I don't envision any sort of like new metal revival, like on a bigger way. And if it does happen, if something does capture that spirit, it's going to be in a way that like, you people like yourself and myself like can't even begin to fathom or like recognize. Like, I mean, if you felt like you were old watching that stuff when it was like in your face at 18 and 19, like, I mean, that's how, I mean, gosh, just imagine if that stuff came out now, like how would you even know it exists? Well, I mean, if, if there was like a Limp Bizkit revival band, I think I would just be like amused by that. Like I, I would be like, Oh, this is kind of weird. And uh, yeah, especially if it caught on, that'd be really interesting. But yeah. I, I, but let me also I I want to also say that like if kind of to echo what you were just saying, if if there is someone out there who is working on an oral history of new metal, I personally would be very excited for that because anytime you have that much money, uh, like that much uh, sort of uh, uh, you have this many people who are maybe of questionable intelligence, uh, plus money, plus drugs. Uh, plus fame, that's mm -hmm. always a great story. So, you know, I, I think there's a high spinal tap uh, potential for any type of story. Uh, lots of unintentional hilarity, I think, in a new metal. Uh, yeah. Which is what you want. I mean, there's, a lot of in, there's a lot of unintentional hilarity in Meet Me in the Bathroom, too. A lot yeah. of spinal tap-like behavior in that book, which I think but is what makes it so fun. brand is, like, cool. Right. You know, it's like, this stuff would just be, like, kind of, you, you, like finding out what's on Fred Durst's tour rider would be like super funny, <laughs> right? Or like what you know, uh, what razors did Aaron Lewis use to shave his head? Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. Just I mean, but like yeah, the corn guys were like super. You know, they were partying and then like they became like born again Christian. Right. So, so yeah, that's a good story. I want to. I want to. I want to see that story. Yeah. I read that story. All right, Ian. Well, hey, thank you. I think. We've talked about new metal for a long time, I, I, much longer than I thought we would. So I, I oh, appreciate yeah. you coming on. It's always a fun conversation. Yeah, I, I dig it, man. It's like new metal shit. I'll talk about that. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, take care. All right, you too, man. All right. All right. That was me and Ian Cohen talking about new metal, uh, talking about Slipknot. I was actually 
endorsing Slipknot. That's not something I ever thought I would do. But I actually revisited Slipknot specifically for this podcast, and uh, I was enjoying it. That 1999 record, self-titled, I think is actually a pretty good record. Uh, so thanks again, guys, for listening to this episode. I want to thank our sponsors for this week. It was a Blue Apron. Uh, we also had uh, some sponsorships from uh, SeatGeek and from Harry's. Uh, so please go to those sponsors, and uh, you know every time you support our sponsors, you also support the podcast. And uh, I really appreciate all the support you guys have given us. Um, and I say this every episode, but I mean it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for talking about the podcast with your friends and on social media. And thank you for leaving us reviews. Uh, these are all things that help grow the podcast and get the word out there. Uh, so uh, thank you for helping us continue to talk about music in sort of a fun and thoughtful way. Um, thanks again, guys, for listening to this week. Uh, we will be back next week with more Celebration Rock. Thanks again, guys.